Thanks as always to the Hockey Shop, source for Sports Story, thehockeyshop.com for presenting Ingle Radio, the podcast. Back with you, a couple of guys in the lower mainland right now, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, and Darren Millard in Las Vegas uh, in Studio 33, uh, hanging out and having some fun watching the National Hockey League and enjoying what's happening and also tracking uh, the newest, the latest, and uh, the education of uh, goaltending equipment. And let's start uh, there because we've got Marc-Andre Fleury on a heater. We've got goaltending numbers uh, uh, with the number of goaltenders playing in the National Hockey League this year into record territory. So a whole bunch to get to. Spencer Martin is our Censorina uh, feature interview as he is back up uh, on the taxi squad and actually uh, backing up that Demko right now. So uh, some great content for you straight ahead. But uh, as far as the education and the uh, development of goaltending equipment uh, over at the the hockey shop, uh, gloves is the topic of the conversation, guys. Uh, take me through this whole uh, bouncing back and forth between 580, 590, 600, and say you're going back and forth between manufacturers. How do you how do you translate those uh, those numbers? Well, rather than getting out any measuring devices, we decided to go to the hockey shop thehockeyshop.com, talk to Cam, and not just... I think the vernacular is pretty common, right? CCM, and now obviously True, uses the same phrasing. 600 break, 590 break, 580 break. And so we decided to go to the hockey shop. Little cameo here from Edmonton Oilers goalie Stuart Skinner on how to sort of explain how each of those kind of feels or closes around your hand, with the caveat being how you stick your hand in a glove can affect how it closes but just basically the the simple this is how one feels this is how the other feels and then cam walked us through the similar breaks for different brands so we all know ccm and true use 600 595 80 well that's great but i'm in a vaughn i'm in a brian's what's the equivalent cam explains that to us in this week's gear segment now the catch is it takes a while we go a full 15 minutes diving into to all the different breaks. So rather than run it here in full on the podcast, we're going to give you a little tease right now and tell you afterwards where you can hear the rest. We're standing in front of the glove wall here in the hockey shop goalie department with Cam Matwiv to try and get a better feel, a better understanding of glove breaks. I think, frankly, we've got a def the definitive piece. Our reviews over the years of CCM equipment have talked a lot about the 600 break, the 590 break, and the 580 break, which, whether other brands want to use it or acknowledge it, is frankly become an industry standard for how a glove feels. Outside of maybe Brian's, everybody else has models that roughly fit within those guidelines. So we thought... For those of you who want a visual representation, a video that you can go back to over the years and not just see how those brakes are supposed to feel in your hands, but what other brand models will match the brakes that we think of when we think of that CCM 600, 590, and 580, we're going to turn it over to Cam to walk us through it. But first, let's hear from Stuart Skinner of the Edmonton Oilers, a goaltender who has used all three brakes to talk about how he went from the same order we're going to go today, 600, 590, 580, in that order. So nice. I, uh, I used to do 600s, and then yeah. I switched to 590s because I could catch a little bit better. 
And then uh, I got called up. I think it was my first time I got called up to the NHL. And Smitty was like, what the, what the hell are you using? And I was like, oh, this is the 590. And he like kind of just showed me the 580. And I was like, oh, do you like this? He's like, if you wear it, you'll never change. So I, I wore it and then I ordered it and I've never changed since. I mean, I, I love the 580. Okay, so there you go. Stuart Skinner started in the 600, went to the 590, and then after practicing with Mike Smith, quickly found himself in the 580. Let's now go to Cam to describe how those gloves feel differently and get a visual representation, try and get a feel of how it's going to fit on your hand, how it's going to close around your hand, starting Cam with the 600. little teaser for you and i like what what he said the catch is and he didn't even plan that i let's go let's go to our dad uh just for a like the the foundation of the different breaks and what parents who who maybe don't realize all the intricacies and the different uh technology uh, of the and the science that goes into these breaks uh uh just educate them a little bit for sure i think yeah if you're at a goalie school and you're a high level goalie and you're all getting around looking at each other's gloves. I think what Woody said is quite right. Um, a lot of people are familiar with these different breaks, but for the parents or for the young goaltenders out there who might not be aware, um, different gloves close in different ways. That's what they're talking about with the, with these breaks. And if you're buying off the shelf, if you're not ordering custom, you don't have that same choice. So for example, um, with CCM, if you were to uh, go and buy the eFlex set off the shelf, it would come stock with what's called a 600 break. It closes in the, in the way that's described in the video. And in that little segment, I, I don't think we got into it there, but, but you will if you follow up with the uh, video this week. If you were to buy CCM's access off the shelf, it would close with a 590 break, which is, again, a little bit different than the 600. And, and the 580 that uh, Stuart talks about doesn't come stock with any of them. You actually have to uh, um, order it custom or Certainly you could walk into a shop and ask for a 580 glove, but just in terms of if you're buying a set, how does it come stock? And then as you'll see in that video, different brands uh, have different gloves that match up with these breaks. And I think that's one of the great things about this video. Um, everybody talks in terms of these CCM true breaks and uh, you don't necessarily know what is it in Bauer, what is it in, uh, in Brian's or Vaughn or whatever. And, uh, and so I, I love the video because the two guys get uh, get into that and give us a comparison. But yeah, I just wanted to, to make it clear that different gloves do close differently. And, and, uh, and if you're buying off the shelf, uh, you don't necessarily have that same amount of choice, but it's great to get educated about how those work. And uh, thanks to Woody and Cam for doing that. I would say two things here. One is um, watch the video. You're right, Hutch. Make sure you go now and watch the video, watch the full video, sort of really get into it, dig into the explanation. But two, when we say off the shelf, that's your average shelf. At the hockey shop and the hockeyshop.com, as we saw there, they've got that 580 break. They stock extras of that 580 break in CCM. So you may go in the stock one in most places, maybe 600 for Evlex and 590 for Axis, but Cam's got you covered with the very popular 580. He makes sure that he orders some of those. And that's the difference in shopping at thehockeyshop.com, um, the hockey shop source for sports in Surrey, is they're making sure they know how popular the 580 is. So they're making sure that beyond just custom orders and wait times, they've usually got some white gloves, as we saw in the video, uh, in that model, ready to close for you, 
off the shelf into your bag onto the ice with that 580 break. So that's the beauty of shopping there. It's why we shop there. Remember, folks, uh, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. Those Warrior V1 sticks, still 30% off. Cam with the super deal on them, one of the most popular NHL sticks right now. 30% off, and he got I got over 400 of them. So they're going fast, but there's still plenty left. A uh, couple different model options. All Jonathan Quick curves, but lots of different paddle lengths. Make sure you check them out. On sale now at thehockeyshop.com. 30% off the Warrior V1 sticks. And to complete the conversation on the gloves, uh, the breaks, for because we have new goalies all the time uh, joining the podcast uh, who are new to the position and are, are coming into to this great world. Uh, I've heard it broken down to like a first baseman's glove is the certain number. Uh, a shortstop's glove is a certain, like the way that, that they close. Any uh, Anything you guys can add to that? Well, I'll, le- I'll leave Woody to give give that explanation because he's the old baseball player and can loves talking about these breaks. But I, I also just wanted to add to that, uh, Darren, that we're talking here in the senior gloves. If you're a young goaltender in the, the youth gear, the intermediate gear, the junior gear, you don't get the same choice in, in glove breaks. So this is when you're reaching the higher levels, you're getting into sort of peewee bantam and maybe you're able to order senior gear that, that you have these break options. And maybe that'd be a great follow-up video for the guys to just talk about how this compares to some of the some of the older gloves. We would have been there for an hour, I expect, that if they'd gotten into the junior and inter- intermediate stuff, but that'd be a fun follow-up, Kevin. But maybe you want to... Well, that's where your stock breaks... That's where your stock breaks come in, Hutch, that you mentioned, right? Like, that's where in the junior sizes it is. E-Flex is 600. And yeah, like, I think yeah. the only one that sort of get, becomes the common baseball vernacular, and to me, it's all about how it closes, where that break angle fits along your hand and how your hand closes around that break angle. And so the 600 break closes sort of with the tip of, as we talk about in the video, again, watch the video, sort of the tip of your fingers into the tip of your thumb. And you can sort of think about how you'd hold a first base in mitts. Obviously, the difference would be if you're playing first base, you're usually actually holding it like upside down from a goalie, right? But that, that, the basket, the catch area is sort of out, at the tips of your fingers and your fingers close sort of thumb tip to tip of your fingers. Whereas the other breaks, it's more your fingers pull into the palm of your hand and 590, it kind of is to the base of the thumb. And then a 580, it really is down almost right into the the fat part of your thumb, the meat of your thumb a little bit more. And that, that 580 break is so easy to recognize. Again, we go in the video, we show you examples. You recognize it in the National Hockey League because the pocket actually sort of flops over bends over when it closes you'll see a little hitch at the top of the glove and a lot of the goalies love it because the way that pocket when they go fingers up right by the ear that pocket is sort of above the hand and almost towards your ear say if your hands at your shoulder the pocket is curved up over top by your ear so it's one of the it's it's kind of that's a tough spot for goalies is by the ear shooters know what to put it there and that 580 glove is one that a lot of guys like because the pocket sort of puts itself uh, closer to the ear when you're holding it up by your shoulder. That was brilliant. Well done. I, I, I can't imagine how many people like me just now were doing the whole thing with you, holding the fingers to the thumb and then the base of the thumb and then closing it and, and holding your, your with the fingers up and trying to uh, uh, translate that into their own uh, situation. So uh, thank you for that. The one thing we never got into in the video a little bit, and I got to give credit, it was Mike Vaughn that kind of talked about this, if you remember, Hutch, when we went to Detroit, you know, talked about how, you know, we, we focus on the breaks with this one. That's, that's how they're sort of differentiated, how they break. And the one thing is, like, it's going to feel different for everyone, right? 
like the size of your hand, how you stick your hand in the glove. Hutch, we talked about this. Finger stalls are not like so tight that you can't move. Like you can move your hand a little bit around that break. And so how it feels to you might and be the different. There's always a too, personal. It is. Yeah, you go to a pro palm, add a couple layers of padding, go from game ready to pro, pro to uh, practice. And it, it's going to, again, you add layers to that closure and that break, it changes how it feels around your hand. So the size of your hand, all these things factor into it. Um, and now I can't remember where I was going. You're talking about Mike Vaughn, that visit we had down in Michigan. Or... Oh, so, so Mike's point was that instead of focusing on the break, the other thing you focus on is where the pocket sits relative to your hand based on that break. And the 600, as I said, is sort of the, the pocket's almost extended out away from the edge of your hand. If you're holding your hand sort of, you know, horizontal, that pocket will be out away from you in a 600 in a 590 it's going to be above your hand a little bit more in a 580 even more so and mike made the point to us in that visit to the factory like if you're missing pucks with one in a certain area like you can change the break like if if you're having pucks go off the tip of the index finger you're not catching them clean if you change to something like a 600 break you're going to put the pocket in that spot where you're missing pucks i find i noticed that when we're adjusting for testing, when we get a different break in for testing, if you've been using a 590 for a long period of time, you'll instinctively put your hand where you think that pocket is to make a save and the pocket on say a 600 is in a different spot and it will hit the glove in a different area and not necessarily go straight into the pocket. But it's just a different way of thinking about it. If you're missing pucks in a certain area, you may be able to change the glove break and sort of put the pocket in a better spot for you. Thank as a goalie. you. Because I was using the GP21 uh, in, in 1981, and that had a different break, and that explains why I'm missing some of these pucks now, Hutch. I don't know. If you use that glove, Darren, any glove you've got today is so much bigger than that, you should be catching all sorts of extra pucks. <laughs> you should put on the old GM21, or is it GP21? GM, I think. You yeah, should you're right. put it on again for all your practices now, and... <laughs> It's almost like weight training, right? You're going to put on your Axis <laughs> glove later and you'll be catching everything. And it smells so good Listen, with that leather. Yeah. Listen, Mr. Vegas Golden Knights, like e-bug practice goalie, <laughs> you put that GM21 on and we won't, the only thing we'll, the only break we'll be worrying about <laughs> when you're stopping Max Pacioretty or Jack Eichel will be the one in your hand. And, yeah. and there'll be multiple. That you just got to catch them clean, Woody. The That's how we did it back in the day. You just got to catch clean. Uh, and I don't have to worry about uh, breaking the hand because I, I don't really touch a lot uh, of pucks, no matter what league uh, I'm playing in. In our <laughs> men's league back, uh, we we lost 10 nothing that I didn't play, but we lost 10 nothing the other day in our A-League debut. It was not pretty. Uh, so we had a team meeting after a bunch of beers, and we decided it didn't matter. We're just going to go out and have fun, have some fun. Uh, let's get, we got to lose. We drink the booze. We, we, exactly. Uh, we got a record uh, to report, Woody. And thanks for everybody for, for walking through that, uh, the goalie geek out with the gloves uh, over at the Hockey Shop, Sorcerer Sports, sorry, thehockeyshop.com. But over a century now for the number of goaltenders that have appeared in an NHL game this year. And as we record this, it's not halfway through the season. Yeah, the list is growing fast. As a matter of fact, like you mentioned, our featured guest this week is Spencer Martin, who's got a really remarkable story. Um, you know, he's bounced around a little bit. We caught him like the day after he picked up his Stanley Cup ring with Tampa Bay Lightning. He's been with the Lightning for the past couple of years. So that's Colorado before that. He's now here with the Vancouver Canucks. Literally talked to him for this interview. He was on the taxi squad. 
The next morning, Yaroslav Halak was placed into COVID protocols, and our friend Spencer Martin was now a member of the Vancouver Canucks, backing up Thatcher Demko, right? Which I believe he'll do today, uh, here in about half an hour after we record this. Um, and there's a lot of that going around the league. 101 goaltenders have appeared in a National Hockey League game. As you said, we're not even halfway through the season. Louis Domingue became number 101 last night. Uh, Tuka Rask officially broke the record in his season debut as number 99. Then Jack Lafontaine got in in a relief appearance. He became number 100. Louis Domingue's 101. Record before was 98, and that was last year. So obviously this is pandemic and COVID related. But up until that point, like the average was kind of like 89. And so the fact we're that far above it and the fact it's this early in the season, like we haven't gotten to the point of, you know, like guys who sign a, you know, coveted college free agents, for example, that you know, will sign a contract on a team that's not destined for the playoffs. And part of the sort of unwritten deal is you get into a game like that usually pads the stats at an end of a year. So we could easily hit 110 this season. Um, and so beyond the reasons, which is kind of obvious, I think injuries too, um, you know, talk to a couple of the goalies that have been a part of this, that have taken advantage of it. Uh, and we're seeing an increase in injuries as much as the focus is on COVID. I think all the starting and stopping of this season, you know, long breaks for teams and then right into games, uh, injuries have played a role. It's been fascinating to see who's really taking advantage of it and talk to a few of them, uh, for an article this week. Um, you know, guys like Charlie Lindgren. Right. You know, kind of in that Jordan Bennington mode where a little older, been around the American hockey thing a long time, never even got a chance. Remember, Charlie, like like Charlie didn't get into it, like with all the goalies getting into games last year with the Montreal, he didn't get into one. They never gave him that opportunity last year. So he gets it now with St. Louis. He goes 5-0-0 with a 9-58 in that opportunity. Uh, he's made some changes in his game in terms of how he plays the rush, a lot less flow, um, a little more sort of just, just a lot less reliance on rhythm and timing in his game right now in terms of how he manages the rush and traffic. And so a lot of great opportunities. Louis Domingue, a uh, guy who was barely in the NHL and thought his career might be over, was quite emotional. Uh, I covered the game when he finally got into one late last season with the Calgary Flames. Well, just how hard being a taxi squad guy was last year. Uh, kind of reinventing himself right now with the Pittsburgh Penguins and our good friend Danny Kyoto has really bought into some of the tracking mechanics as something that seems to have turned a light on in Louis' game uh, and is playing really well. He makes his season debut last night, stops 40 of 41. So um, opportunities all over the place, and a lot of guys are making the most of them. I talked to Curtis McElhenney. He laughed. He's like, man, like in the old days, guys didn't give you this shot. Veterans were not opening that door for you. He remembers in, oh, I think it was 08, 09, or 07, 08, Kippersoft both years played 76 games. They fly into Colorado. It's supposed to be McElhenney's start. Um, I don't know if the second end of back-to-back, but based on his description, it must have been because it was three in the morning as they're pulling into the hotel on the bus. And Mike Keenan's telling Mika Kippersoff about Glenn Hall playing 500-plus straight games. And what do you know? Curtis McElhenney's scheduled start? Not so much. Kippersoff played it, played great. Curtis played six games that year. So guys did not want to open the door even a crack before. And now we're seeing it busted wide open at a historical level. For whatever reason, it's opportunity. And for a lot of guys, it's opportunity they might not otherwise get. And good for the ones that are taking advantage of it. I remember Mike also had Grant Fuhr when he played uh, knocking on 80 games uh, that year. So uh, what I get out of that is if Mike would have coached Glenn Hall, Glenn uh, would have 
pushed his streak up to like 920. That, 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 that's what I get out of Mike Keenan uh, uh, and, and the way he, he really wrote his, his goaltenders. But uh, just a, a note of context, the last full season, uh, there was 93 goaltenders played. This is the research done by Kevin. I don't want to take credit for it, uh, but 93. And now we're at, uh, at 101 and the, the average is, is high eighties, but Hutch, it's, it's incredible. And it does have a lot to do with COVID. There's some injuries in there, but guys being like Halak being placed in the COVID protocol, it, uh, it leads to one more. And if there's one more or two more all around the league, then do we, we get our high numbers. It opens the door and gives opportunity, just like you opened the door and gave Kevin an opportunity to talk, to talk about all 101 of those goaltenders in his answer to your question. <laughs> the mistake was yours, veteran goalie. You never should have opened the door. Okay, Kevin. Yes, sir. Your assignment, if you choose to accept it, most goaltenders used by one team in a single year. It's a good question. And I don't know the answer to it, and I don't expect you to know the answer to it, but I'm curious if we'll get that record this year as well. I'm wondering if we already have. Uh, I, this is 100% top of my head. Remember the year where Dylan Ferguson played with Fleur, with uh, Vegas because they ran into all yeah. kinds of injury trouble? Was that the inaugural season maybe even? Yes. Um, yeah. So what did they get to that year? Six? Well, there was Fleury, Dansk, Subban, Legacy, and Ferguson, five. They got the five. Okay, I think the LA Kings yeah. were five or six one year. Let's take a look at the New Jersey Devils right now. Jonathan Bernier, uh, who's been a friend of the program, both on the podcast and in pro reads, uh, our thoughts with him as he has hip surgery and his season ended early. Um, they've had a lot of COVID issues as well. They had just the other day, they, they had an equipment manager uh, dress as the backup in an e-bug role. Um, got, got the buckets off um, yeah. lap before the game. I think the Devils might be like top of my head. The New Jersey Devils might be up to six or seven already this season. Like it's been a tough go for goalies staying on the ice in New Jersey this year. This is just a quick Google guys. Can't claim it's off the top of my head and can't claim it's in depth, but four times NHL teams have had seven goaltenders in a season can go right back to 89, 90 with the Quebec Nordique even. Wow. Seven, seven. And uh, most recently on this list, again, probably haven't uh, haven't done good enough research here, but the uh, 1819 Philadelphia Flyers used seven guys like Carter Hart, Brian Elliott, Kelvin Pickard, Stallers, Talbot, Neuverth, Lyon, and mm-hmm. Mike McKenna. Oh, wow. That was, uh, that was 2018-19, not 19-18-19, right? Right. And sorry, that's, that's eight they listed, even though the article said seven. So there you go. Wow. That's... Um... Well, uh, we may we may get uh, we may get close to to double digits. Devils are at six right now. Devils are at six. Devils halfway are at six. through the year. Halfway now a lot of the, these these same guys will be cycled back when when you do get healthy, and then if you run into more trouble, they'll they'll get cycled back. But it's it's when everybody goes down at once that it becomes uh, crazy. John Gillies, right, is is another opportunity guy uh, who is in the ECHL and the St. Louis, and then now New Jersey, who's who's getting some looks and. And uh, being able to see it, um, I saw Ben Bishop uh, doing the Dallas Stars intermission the other day. So he's he he's not uh, after his uh, uh, halted comeback attempt. Uh, he's actually just joined us in the broadcast booth. So it's nice to see him. Tallest broadcaster I've ever seen uh, in a hockey broadcast. Uh, should mention that. A uh, hundred. Any idea? Like any guesses on what we'll get to? Did, did does it end up being one hundred and ten? 
I'd say, like, honestly, at first I thought, like, like maybe this is the peak, but, like, you know, it's funny because this is what Charlie Lindgren said, and it's what Spencer Martin said to me, too, although I don't think we were recording for this interview at the time. Um, it just feels like every week you look and somebody new is getting an opportunity, and Charlie said it felt like that for the past couple of years. And so, you know, here I am thinking, ah, well, maybe it peaks now, but we've we've had three more since, you know, I wrote the article based on Rask becoming 99 and setting a new record. And it published two days ago, and we're already two above that. So at the current pace, yeah, I think 110 is very realistic. Remember when we talked about the moving chairs in the offseason and you didn't want to be left without? Well, the chairs kept moving, and, and the goalies kept moving in and out uh, of the chairs. And basically, if if you're around and you want to play in the National Hockey League, you you may end up getting your shot by uh, hook or crook, uh, the, the way things are going. For sure, right. Now, I wonder, too, guys, I mean, haven't spoken to anybody about this, but I wonder if there's a bit of a mentality shift here as well for management and that, you know, maybe you find a diamond in the rough. Maybe something comes out, right. out of the woodwork. I mean, Jordan Binnington was certainly not top of the list for, for St. Louis. They, they worked their way down to him, and then it turned into a Stanley Cup, and uh, you just never know what you might be finding and why not give a, give a guy a shot. Woody? I mean, we're seeing examples of that. Like, you know, like Bennington, sort of his, you know, that, that goalies take longer to develop thing. Like there's, there's that mentality a little bit. We've seen Zach Fucali, who's made big strides with the Washington Capitals, get an opportunity this year and look really good when he did, especially his first two starts. I know he got pulled in his third one, but that was, like, watch those goals. Like, that's tough, yeah. man. Like, Boston was sort of in wagon mode offensively, uh, and he did not get much help in front of him. But I was really impressed by uh, by his performance. And there's a guy that's waited a long time to get that shot. And so, um, yeah, and, you know, and, and, and I think there is a little bit more of a willingness to have a look to see if we can't uncover, the, you know, maybe not the next Jordan Bennington lead us all the way to Stanley Cup, but, hey, like, maybe this guy needs to be higher on our depth chart. Because this is a trend that, it may not reach the extremes we're seeing now with COVID, but you always need depth. Like, you know, I remember writing 10 years ago about how you had to have three in today's NHL that you could trust to play in the NHL. And maybe they're discovering, it's a, it's a willingness to discover like, hey, maybe this guy that we had four or five on our depth chart, we're gonna give him a shot because maybe he can be three for us next year. And uh, next time you have a uh, struggle or your, your child uh, has a dip in performance, uh, just remember it's also happening in the National Hockey League right now. Columbus allowed nine goals. Uh, they were the lighters team to uh, to knock in the door of, of 10 uh, Just last night. Don't let your goalies play the Florida Panthers right now because they are in beast mode. Wow. Offense. Like just like video game type rush chances and numbers and plays. It's crazy. And you know, hey, listen, one quick shout out to the general managers and those running rosters. And quite often it's coaches also running rosters at the lower levels. Because as tough as this is right now in the National Hockey League, as teams try and find goaltenders, imagine being a GM in the AHL and try to imagine being a guy in the coast right now trying to fill out these roster spots as your guys are constantly pulled up. Um, Vancouver's actually got off light for the most part this season up until Halak. Uh, they were, they actually, they still are because Spencer hasn't gotten into a game. But up until Halak's um, protocol, they're one of like, I think six or seven teams in the National Hockey League that have only needed two goalies to sort of actually play in games. But all it took was this, and now Spencer's up, and now Mikey DiPietro just was called up and flew across the country to join them as their taxi squad goalie because what happens if somebody else goes down? You need to have that number three guy there. And they're using the e-bug 
in San Diego to dress for them as the backup last night. And I'm going to have to call and see if they need one when they get back to Vancouver and Abbotsford this week because they don't think they have oh. one set to go. Woody, you don't have to call. We we know that you've already called. You don't have, <laughs> I have to. Actually, actually have the but if their shooters need confidence, I am there to build the confidence <laughs> of shooters in Abbotsford's practice. Although, have you seen practices in the American Hockey League? They go for an hour and a half sometimes. You would definitely need to locate the defibrillator before I got out there for that. <laughs> uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's not building any confidence right now. We are talking about uh, two totally different seasons for the Chicago Blackhawk netminer. I wonder what this is going to do towards the trade deadline discussions. Uh, it was already there uh, beforehand, and now with what he's doing, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, what he had an 874 for the first month, and since then he's just on a like when I ran the numbers last it was 924, but he's added another shutout to that, so he's probably up closer to 930 again. For a while he's running 955 after the coaching change structure in front of him. You know the conversation we were having about him as he turned his season around was the Olympics, and it's too bad that that's no longer a conversation we need to have, but it does switch right away to the trade deadline. And the one thing about the Olympics is that would have been a no-brainer for him. I wonder about relocating his family as hard as it was to do in the off season to Chicago, whether that's something he's really willing to do or interested in doing mid season at a trade deadline to go, go chase. I guess it would depend on how good a chance you thought you had of chasing a championship. So is it Colorado? Yes. Is it Edmonton? Probably not. So it'd be (laughs) really interesting to see how this all plays out. What do you think there? Hutch? a great point you brought up there Darren um, about the trade deadline coming around I mean five goals in the last four starts we know there's teams as much as there's 101 goaltenders that have played in the league there's there's teams that are out there looking um, Edmonton again uh, still looking for a goaltender and uh, and the market is going to heat up as, as the trade trade deadline comes and why wouldn't you want Marc-Andre Fleury uh, as, as the leading guy in that in that group right now so really Really going to be an interesting time. He's also chasing career numbers uh, as well, padding those stats and piling it up. Uh, can you do that better with a contender uh, down the stretch? You'd have to think so. Do you think he finishes the year in Chicago, Woody? I have no idea because I, I do think this, like he's going to have the option. I just think it's yeah. a personal decision and probably none of us know um, without having talked to him. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I, think, I think it is more of a personal decision than anything. Um, I would think that that organization grants him the respect, especially if he's willing to come back. Uh, and given how good he's been, would would grant him the respect of making that decision. So I can tell you this, though, if you want to read about how Marc Andre Fleury has changed his game amid all this, you should head o- head over to ingolmag.com as a premium subscriber. We had a nice little breakdown. I had a conversation with uh, Flower early in the year on an actual change in his game that he made since leaving Vegas. And he made it on the advice of Kevin Lankinen, adding a little overlap to his game. So we ran some numbers, we ran some video, we put together an article, we added Marc-Andre Fleury's comments about what he likes about the overlap compared to using RVH and VH, some of the situations he specifically uses it in. You'll see it, it'll become evident when you watch the video. So nice little breakdown. And just, again, another feather in my mind in the cap of a guy who's already headed to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Already has three Stanley Cup rings, has a Vezina Trophy, has a Williams H. Jennings. He's the reigning Vezina Trophy winner. And he's willing to adjust his game after 18 years in the NHL based on watching, observing, and discussing something different that his playing partner with all of 19 NHL wins is doing on the ice. I think 
there's a real lesson in there at every every age about you know sort of a willingness to try new things and adapt. If Marc Andre Fleury can do it at this stage of his career, based on watching a guy who's you know got a long way to go to catch up to him, um, then certainly little Johnny, little Susie can listen to the new goalie coach who wants them to try something different. Yeah, and you know, Kevin, it's a great piece I think uh, that you put together there for goaltenders of all levels again because there's some video in there where you get to see flurry making different decisions based on the situation sometimes old school stand up sometimes rvh uh sometimes overlap so if you're uh, a younger goaltender you're a parent of a goaltender and you want to learn a little bit about these different post integration techniques um this is a really fun way to do it in the context of one of the best goaltenders in the game i loved watching him do the just do the old school stand up darren elliott and i would would stand up on uh where where we would watch games and just giggle this is the this is the only sort of downside of him going into an overlap is I could not believe when I ran the video and ran the numbers and thanks to ClearSight Analytics because imagine how many games I would have had to watch to find every instance of Ooh. him. But thanks to ClearSight, I can sort it by where the shot is coming from on the ice and what type of shot. So it allows you to dig down quite quickly into the types of chances that are likely to lead to those save selections. I could not believe. And he told me in the interview, he's like, yeah, sometimes I like to just stand up. Yes. And I'm like, but I couldn't believe how often, like out of 38 chances I looked at two years ago, because that was a comparable, because that how many he had faced this year of those types of chances. Yeah. So I just went back to the, the first 38 of last season. He went straight stand up pads against the post, like an old school of Jenny Nabokov 10 times on 38 chances. Like it was, he really did go old school stand up. So he is the model when all the people yell on the internet about just stand up, Mark Andre Fleury, that proves on some shots from some angles, you absolutely can. And he will tell you why he uh, adopted the overlap uh, in that conversation with Kevin Woodley. And it does have something to do with that whole uh, concept of of that uh, opening uh, when goaltenders go down, when announcers say, like, oh, why doesn't the goalie just stand up? Well, there's something to that uh, in that discussion. A shout-out of the week uh, goes to uh, Quinnipiac and the NCAA. Hutch, you discovered uh, something that's just incredible right now. Yeah, and I'm sure if you're a big follower of the NCAA hockey, this isn't news to you, but we don't get the chance to follow it quite so much. Uh, just happened to be scrolling last night and and discovered, congratulations, Quinnipiac goaltender Yaniv Peretz uh, with his seventh shutout of the season. He's won off the uh, program record. Uh, former in-goal radio guest Michael Gartig uh, had eight there. Um, Peretz has played 13 games, guys, and he's got seven shutouts already. So more than every other game. Goals against average of 0.8. And uh, just I was interested because, of course, we also know that another former guest of the, the show, Devin Levi, um, at Northeastern is making himself as a very significant Hopi Baker candidate, having put up eight shutouts. And I thought, well, so how does, uh, how does Yaniv uh, compare to Devin? And so I did a little bit of looking around and turns out the two of them played Bantam AAA together, both from the same hometown, Dollar Des Armeaux, uh, just a suburb of Montreal. And uh, so it's really a fun story. Trains in the summer also with a, another friend of the show, Marco Marciano. So uh, congrats to uh, Peretz and, and wishing him well for, for the rest of the season. We got a, a great uh, Montreal goaltending battle going on in the NCAA. We do. Uh, two things out of that. Uh, Peretz is really talented. And number two, he's already got more friends than I've ever had in my life. 
based on on all the good uh, friends that he trains with and the the goalie partner. Hey, hang on, <laughs> hang on. I only mentioned two guys. You've got us. Be nice. Uh, I'm I'm still kind of breaking in with you guys. Sometimes <laughs> I get the uh, the feeling from Woody that I'm just a colleague. I'm not really that friend caliber just yet. Just more. Yes, co- we need to take that road trip to Vegas to prove more it to him. More coworker Woody. with Woody. I miss one Christmas present, and this is what I get. <laughs> uh, keep an eye on that. And uh, if your number's being retired, you're going to be a guest on, on Ingle Radio, the podcast. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist uh, coming up. Pekka Rene is uh, coming up. Uh, two great ones. Uh, Jay Shiger has his number retired by the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, he's coming up. So uh, just a, a comment, guys, before we get into our feature interview. We have a bunch of great interviews coming up. A bunch of great interviews. Um, little little phone tag, little uh, scheduling tag with Henrik Lundqvist, but should have that one in the can this week uh, ahead of his big night at Madison Square Garden. Um, little text tag with Pekka Rene, but we've got that one set up hopefully here in the next uh, week as well uh, ahead of his jersey retirement and then an outdoor game for the Nashville Predators. And Hutch has got Jay Shiger lined up for this week. So tons of great guests, tons of great content coming soon to the In Goal Radio podcast. What are you going to talk to Jiggy about, Hutch? Uh, well, gear for sure. Yeah? Right. I mean, along with uh, Francois Allaire, an, an innovator in gear, so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about that. Um, happens to to work in Montreal at uh, TVS Sports with an old friend yeah. of mine, Michelle Godbu. so uh, I'm going to have to see if I can get some dirt, speaking of friends, on uh, one of my old goaltending buddies. And... Uh, Looking, looking forward to the chat. It's one we've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, Woody and I were lucky enough to skate on on the ice with him uh, in Montreal years ago at a CCM event, and uh, and I know Woody's enjoyed chatting with him in the room for his uh, his whole career. So um, yeah, really excited about this one. He had good mask game too. Uh, I liked what uh, what he did uh, on his bucket uh, over the years. Uh, let's uh, slide. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Did you know that one of his great masks was actually painted? I, rem- I just just popped into my head as you say that. Well, he had a mask painted by Francois Lair's son, FX Lair. Really? Yeah. As did yeah, Lou. I think it was with the abs. Yeah, I think he painted. Yeah, he painted one for Luongo as well. Those were actually really sharp, really good stuff. That's very cool. Uh, so there. Just a couple of little tips for you, Hutch. And I, I know that you're always looking for help on these interviews and there there's a couple from from us just on Thanks, where boys. to go uh yeah Thanks, we're, we're, we're always here to lend a helping hand or a suggestion or just tell you what Couldn't to do, do without you <laughs> i know what you do without us you'd have a lot more peace in your life that's what would uh what would happen our feature interview brought to you by sensorina is spencer martin uh up with the vancouver Canucks right now uh this is just a fascinating conversation and he's so honest and uh he just there's there's the the guests that are just ready to to talk and he was ready to talk and is just loves to discuss goaltending and the stories about getting a Stanley Cup ring and a Stanley Cup uh, were all cool but also what he's changed in his game what he's he's stuck with his game and it's all brought to us uh, by Sensorina Sensorina VR Hutch sure is and uh, if you're interested in getting into Sensorina if you've been hearing everything we've had to say about it and all the great pros that are using it. You want to try it now. They've got 30% off an annual license. And uh, of course, if you use the code IGM50 at checkout, you'll get a further discount as well. Um, you know, guys, there's so much into Sense Arena. It's really hard to to get it all into one little week chit chat here. I would just like to remind everybody that one of the things it does great, as soon as you get into it, 
you can try this goalie skills assessment and, and you're encouraged to do it periodically as you go along. It will tell you not just what your save percentage is, but how precise were you on your angles as you were moving into shots? Um, what was your precise reaction time? How well did you track the puck? It's, it's amazing. Even just that one, guys, I'll, I'll do a few reps in Sense Arena. I'm thinking, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. Your puck tracking is at 67%. It can tell how well did I watch that puck from the moment release until the moment of the, the save. And whether you want to use their review tools so you can turn around and see how you actually did, or if you just want to go on that stat and then have it make you sort of drill in and do a better job of tracking the puck or tracking the play, which it also uh, gives you a, a score on. Um, I think these things just give you feedback that is so precise that you can't get on the ice. Uh, it's an incredible tool. And then that goalie skills assessment feeds in to them giving you some suggestions for what you should be doing in your training. So uh, there are just myriad ways that you can augment your game through Sense Arena, augment the feedback that you're getting as a goaltender in ways that your coach uh, just can't do on the ice. And believe me, the, the role of the coach is, is, is never um, is still just as important as it ever was, but this is just a way of augmenting what you're doing uh, that you can't get on the ice. So encourage people to try out Sense Arena like more and more NHL pros are doing, and uh, I'm sure it's going to make a difference in your game. Absolutely. I, I did that skills assessment the other day, and uh, and I was impressed at how deep it went when uh, it flashed up on the screen. It said, have you tried tennis? I thought that was cool. Uh, <laughs> th th I mean, it, it, it really does uh, go uh, all the way down the list of, of your various skills. <laughs> you joke about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that came along one day. And I don't mean in sense <laughs> arena, but I do come from a sports science background. And I know that national federations go around testing young athletes uh, so that they can say, this is what your skills are most honed in for. And, you know, my case, it's for absolutely nothing. You should just go talk about it. But uh, yeah, we do do talent identification and athletes would love to to see if somebody's working on something in the VR space. Have you, have you thought of walking a dog? Because I think that's what you'd be really good. That, that That's what it tells me. Uh, Woody. I was just going to say some really great drills up at Sense Arena, too. We've had some some new ones added. Uh, Brian Decord's added a couple ones recently, and uh, make sure you check out all the Sense Arena. Uh, as much as we talk about the product itself, uh, keep an eye on their social media channels as well, because they've done a really good job of sort of showing you when those new drills are going to be up, so you can then get into the VR system and find them. Uh, Brian's done a good job of sort of walking people through those drills uh, on the social media channels, and then you go into the system and do them yourself, and I find them really helpful as well. So, and plus, uh, we are what? a week away from the LA Kings portion of their contest coming up with some great prizing from the Los Angeles Kings. So keep an eye on all those things in the next little while it sends. I remember Eric Comrie telling us about going out to a public skate and working on his, his footwork. Well, on the sense arena, uh, social channels, I saw a couple of goaltenders going out to a public skate and wearing their headset and doing drills on the ice with a headset in their gear. And it just, yeah, it was, I thought, that is brilliant. You're, you're taking an off-ice skill set, something that's designed when you don't have the ice, and you're you're just taking it to another level, and you can do it actually with your gear on, and you just find a corner of the ice and and, and go. It it was, it was uh, I give them all the credit in the world for, for thinking outside the box and taking it to another level. Wouldn't you love to just be able to track what those kids are doing? two years from now, yes. five years from now, 
when you see that dedication that they're willing to put themselves out there to have people look at them thinking that's a little bit strange what you're doing over there. Yeah. Um, I, I have a feeling that they're going to be doing very well. I had the same thought last night. I left a rink, went for a little walk around a soccer field and there's two kids who had to be about nine or 10 years old running drills on a soccer pitch in the dark. Um, there's, there's dedication out there. And if you're a dedicated, uh, young goaltender, this is a great way to take advantage of it. How many people watched Connor Hellebuck at a public skate? As he told us, you know, going to public skate before his first NAHL tryout because he couldn't get any other ice. How many people thought that looked strange and look what he's doing. Darren, the one thing I wanted to mention about taking sense arena on the ice and those videos they show yes, public skate, but there's been a few where guys have been out on the ice and, and had the net behind them. Mm -hmm. And Obviously, they've calibrated the system to where the net is. Blows my mind how you watch them move around and they're popping in a reverse VH and right on the post. Like perfect seal, like perfect execution. And what you have to keep in mind, folks, is they can't see that post. No. All they see is the virtual reality post. So if you've got questions about eh, how realistic it is, it watch these guys move around the crease, bang in and out of posts that they can't even see. All they see is the virtual reality post, and that will tell you the level of precision we're talking when you're in that sense arena environment. Just don't use it in the backyard around the pool. Well, I, I know that it's winter where you guys are from, but for, for everybody else that's in my neighborhood, don't use it around the pool. Water's not frozen here either, Darren, sadly. <laughs> it was a week and a half ago. I can tell you on the East Coast it is yeah. right now. I uh, hope everybody's uh, doing well up there. Uh, so our feature interview is Spencer Martin of the Vancouver Canucks. Really cool as uh, he searches for that uh, fourth start, a fourth appearance in the National Hockey League. Spencer Martin with Kevin Woodley. The feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Enjoy. Excited to be joined on the podcast by Spencer Martin, but I got to admit, it's a little weird. He's been, he's been in Abbotsford, playing with the Abbotsford Canucks for a large chunk of this season. We've had conversations out there. I was hoping to do this in person. But the way the world changes, we've now got him sort of live in person, but over Zoom because he's with the big Canucks and on the road in Carolina um, with the NHL club. New, everything's changed halfway through the year. Taxi squad duties. But the good news is, well... Not only are you on that NHL per diem right now, but you got a chance to go through Tampa Bay and pretty darn exciting day by the looks of it yesterday. What's that like to get? What's it like to get a Stanley Cup ring? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I, I mean, uh, I, I would have loved to do it in person too, but it's it's cool to to get to, to chat and uh, to get this uh, to happen. So thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, pretty cool timing for me getting called up to this taxi squad. Obviously, I uh, didn't see this coming with uh, you know COVID hitting and there being a taxi squad window again, uh, kind of similar to last year. Um, but you know, going on this road trip, we we go through Tampa, and uh, you know, last yesterday they gave me my Stanley Cup ring uh, for being a part of the organization uh, last year. Uh, but I wasn't sure I was going to, you know, I, I didn't expect a ring at all because obviously I, I didn't play a game. Um, but it just shows like how classy that organization is and how generous. And honestly, I was kind of, uh, speechless when they gave it to me. I wasn't sure, uh, what they're bringing me in for, whether it was like a little, uh, you know, just to catch up with them. And, uh, you know, I really, yeah, it left me, uh, with no words, but 
it was an extremely cool uh, experience. And they gave me a ring the year before, too. So it was, uh, yeah, just really cool and uh, nice to be seeing everybody while I was in Tampa as well. Okay, so you didn't expect it. I got to ask, now you're on the road. You still got another three on this roadie, including back-to-backs. And so you're packing and you're moving and all that. Like, what do you do with it now? Like, is it like locked away in a safe? Are the equipment guys safeguarding? Like, how do you make sure that that priceless piece of your life does not go missing between now and Vancouver? That's it. Once I, once I, once I got it, I realized like, I might have to wear this on the ice for the rest of the road trip. I, I'm not letting it out of my sight. Um, but <clears throat> I asked Jenner cause Jenner was with the, the Bulls last year, obviously. And uh, he, he said he locked it up in the safe at the hotel. So I followed his lead and, and trusting that. Uh, but yeah, I was, uh, pretty stressed out carrying it around. <laughs> yeah, I would be too. I just put it in there with the passport because then you can't go anywhere without the, there's no way you're going to leave it in the safe if the passport's in there too, right? Maybe that's some good advice. Yeah. And, uh, they, they gave me a, a little miniature Stanley cup as well. And, uh, just carrying it around wow. yesterday, I felt, felt a little bit funny being on the taxi squad, carrying a Stanley cup ring, but, uh, nevertheless, it was, it was pretty cool and I appreciate it. Uh, more than I can uh, even uh, thank them. Well, I want to get into this year and, and you've transitioned to the Canucks and new voices and new coaches. And it's something you've done a couple times in your career, but maybe let's just stick with Tampa Bay. Like what was that experience like? What do you learn as much as you want to be, maybe get into games and be a different part of it? What do you learn being a part of that run, you know, in that capacity, practicing with the guys I'm guessing on a semi-regular basis, being out there, uh, you know, to, to make sure they have a target for their practices. So Vassy's resting. What would you learn? Uh, I learned a ton. I mean, just to experience guys like uh, to experience Vassy, but not only him, but just like the, the leadership that they have there and the energy that they had around their team and just being professional and, uh, you know, just being in that environment uh, was huge for me. Like I, I, I honestly, at times, you know, you hate it to, to just be kind of, you know, working your butt off and, you know, not playing as many games as you love. And you feel like you want to be a gamer. You want to play a ton of games in the American league or, you know, even in the NHL, but, um, just to work with Franz and, uh, to get extra reps and just kind of take a step away from, you know, when you can take a, uh, away from being, you know, having a game the next day and, you know, kind of look at your game and uh you know be able to work on things and have that much time before you have to play your next game i feel like that was super beneficial and uh i feel like that's really benefiting me this year can you give us any examples of some of the things you're able to focus on in that environment versus like you said having to manage working on something new with resting and making sure you have enough energy levels for a game when when you don't have to worry about the game what what kind of things were you focused on and are there, you know, when you talk about benefiting, what, what kind of things do you think are paying off now that you changed or worked on? I think I was able to just take an honest, uh, more honest approach to, uh, when I'm assessing my own game, like I, and, and, and myself as an athlete as well, because, uh, um, you know, when you have a game in a couple of days, you're, you're really just trying to build up your own confidence and, and, you know, make yourself feel uh, as good as you can. But really when I knew that I had a couple of weeks or a month or a month or two, um, you know, I was able to just get in the gym and, and basically, you know, become a better athlete than I've been, uh, in the early years of my pro career. Uh, so I think that was like a most black and white, uh, change that I made. And then, you know, just working on uh, confidence on depth management was really, really big with me and Franz and Joel Palmer and Syracuse as well. And, and being able to see NHL shots, you know, for the majority of the year, I felt like, uh, built my confidence on the, you know, the first shot. 
And uh, from there, you're able to play a little bit deeper. And, you know, I feel like that really uh, that built my confidence up for this year. Okay, so off the ice, the the physical stuff you're talking about, what we're, where's the focus? Is it, is it is it mobility? Is it strength? Like, you've, do you take anything? Again, I hate to go back to Vassy, but like he's the world's best goaltender. So having him as an example around you, I mean, I've heard stories from other guys in that locker room. We had Mike Condon on the podcast recently, and he talked about you know going to training camp and walking into the room after you know the next morning, and Vassy's basically in the split sipping on his coffee, like. When a guy's that freakish athletic, can you try and mimic anything? Can you try and learn things? Do you pay attention to how he does things in the gym or what's changed for you? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, as you could imagine, he's pretty special. So it is, very, it is honestly yeah, humbling and, and uh, difficult to, to mimic him perfectly. But at the same time, like he, he, he is a super athlete. And I just looked at his movement and his, how easily, you know, when we get out there in the morning, how he's, you know, he's right into hundred percent ready to go and uh, pushing with ease. And I looked at my own game. I thought that was a, a weakness where I needed to, to get stronger and get lighter. And, uh, my mobility was there, but I, I wanted to get stronger and lighter. And I felt like, uh, you know, looking at him and trying to add that to my game or improve that in my game definitely needed to happen. I felt like it, it, it has. What, uh, what kind Maybe not of to his, like, definitely not to his level, but, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, it's, uh, Taking that from him has been huge. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, like, uh, we've heard stories of, from the guys that worked with him in Ottawa back in the early days uh, when he was coming over in the summers. And, like, the his ability to generate power from full extension and, and end range of motion is just, like, it's off the charts, not just as a goaltender, but as an athlete. Um, was there anyone you worked with in the summers? Was this primarily with Tampa? Or did you change some things in terms of how you were managing things in the summer? Anyone you want to shout out from uh, an off-ice workout perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I've trained with uh, with Matt Nickel growing up, uh, or not growing up, but the last first few years of my pro career. But this, uh, you know, with the pandemic, I actually was kind of locked down. I either had to decide to to train downtown Toronto and I'd be isolated by myself, or or uh, to be with my family. Um, so I decided I was going to build my own gym in my house, and I felt like, uh, you know, from a athletic standpoint, that really, really just uh, kind of bred into a new lifestyle for me. Um, to have the gym in my own uh, in my own house and just uh, kind of live that uh, that life of uh, not knowing what was going to happen next while we waited for the season to start last year, but um, uh, to really try and work on myself that way. What uh, what are the key pieces of equipment? Not that everyone can afford to have a pro athlete's gym in their house, but like, are there some basics there that you're like, hey, like if you're a goalie and you're stuck at home or you want to like start your own training? Are there some things that, you know, might be simple to acquire that people could sort of look at as a foundation for, for the Spencer Martin home gym? Right. Yeah. I think like, well, honestly, um, I, I've had so many trainers tell me it's different for everybody. I would say, because okay. I had so many people tell me, you know, growing up, you know, you're a goalie to so do this, you're a goalie to so do that. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that with the players or, you know, but I really just wanted to be like, Hey, I want to be the most powerful athlete. I can be or as lean as I can be. So changing my nutrition and, uh, and then I set myself up with a squat, a squat rack and a bike and just really, really basic stuff. And, uh, just kind of just, uh, started to train myself as an athlete rather than, uh, as a goalie, because I knew I already kind of had the flexibility and mobility, but I wanted to become stronger and leaner. What'd you do on the nutrition side? Again, we're always looking for advice for young goalies. And sometimes, like you said, you're well into your pro career, not well into, but you've had a few years in your pro career. 
and you're still learning these things. So I think of young kids, whether they're in junior or even before, maybe they can learn this lesson from you and not have to turn pro before they do. What kind of things did you have to change on the diet side? Honestly, I just started uh, getting, uh, I'm a vegetarian to start with. So I mean, it's going to be difficult for a lot of guys to mimic maybe something that I've done, but um, I cut out a lot of carbs uh, in my diet. And uh, I felt like, you know, maybe playing my first couple of years around 210 pounds to now playing at 190, it just made my game easier. And it's honestly, uh, it's pretty cool to feel once you start to to get out there. You know, we had a long break in a couple of the last off seasons or breaks at least. And uh, to get out there and to feel like you can move around the crease easier, uh, that's been huge. But uh, yeah, I just took a ton of carbs out of my diet and I, you know, started supplementing a lot of protein, which I knew I was deficient in as a vegetarian. So I was gonna say, I mean, my uh, you're speaking to the you're speaking to the right household here. Uh, my wife's like full vegan, and and she's got my daughter who plays competitive volleyball into it. And so, yeah, no, I I know that world, and it's uh, it's funny because do you find there's any stigmas around it? Because you know, like hockey, sort of like oh, like vegetarian, but like the the health aspect of it, the ability to you you can still achieve all everything you want in terms of energy levels and power and performance. Um, do you, is there any sort of negative stigmas left? Do you deal with that at all? I would imagine. So I would imagine when a, when a strength coach or somebody gets me that they're not pumped to hear that I'm, you know, maybe not eating all the, the meats and everything. But, uh, for me, um, it was a huge, uh, leap of faith, just kind of go on my own and train by myself. And, uh, once I, you know, uh, got back from back to Tampa, I guess we were going into the bubble and I was in, you know, kind of in better shape. And then even more so the next year at camp, um, it was a big confidence boost to myself to be able to, you know, kind of do it on my own partially, you know, there's obviously a ton of people still helping out, but to be able to, uh, yeah, just to, to know that you can get it done yourself was huge for me, but I started supplementing a lot of protein. Yeah. Yeah, inflammation. Like, I mean, I know, I know, we've talked to other athletes on the podcast, and and had I've had some conversations with other guys that have made that switch too. Just you know, especially in a position where you know, like it, how your hips feel, how your legs feel the day after a game. Um, you know, a lot of people that have made the switch seem to like like what it does for from a recovery and inflammation standpoint. Yeah, well, I, I've actually been a vegetarian my whole life, but okay, there you uh, go. Okay. Um, but uh, but I've I had a you know heavy carb diet beforehand to kind of make up for energy wise. But um, yeah, I've had an ACL injury and I've had two meniscus uh, tears on both knees. So um, just to take weight off, you know, take load off the the joints has been incredible for uh, you know from staying away from swelling and staying away from pain during practice. It's uh, it's made a big difference. Okay, well, I didn't mean to turn this into an episode of uh, the Food Network. I apologize for that. Let's go <laughs> no back worries. to depth. Ma- <laughs> Let's go back to the goalie stuff. Depth management. Um, you talked about altering that in Tampa Bay. So when I hear depth management, like that can mean so many different things to so many different goalies, depending on where they're coming from. What did it mean for you? What adjusted? Like it was it was it sort of where you were on the ice, or it was ha- was it how you got there in terms of maybe taking out backwards flow? What was the change for you? Yeah, uh, I think what I was referring to more is a rush, rush uh, death management. Okay. I've I've had a ton of uh, I've had a tendency earlier in my career to to fly out a little bit much, uh, and you know get the, that foot or foot and a half of white paint behind me on you know on uh, certain rush plays, and uh, I feel like you know building confidence in my straight on shot ability has uh, has allowed me to get closer. I still like uh, backflow 
I still like uh, to feel like I ha- I can, I'm not stuck or stationary. Um, but just to, you know, to take a little bit of off that has uh, made it easier to make my next play for sure. Okay. So like, give me like, how much less have you taken? And when you say backwards flow, can it be just one little drift? Like it's such a fine line, right? Cause you mm-hmm. don't want to feel stuck. And a lot of guys really, if they're stationary, do feel that way. And yet anytime we add movement, moving parts can be tough to manage against rush chances. How have you found that balance? Cause it's one that a lot of guys struggle with. Yeah. I mean, my goal, my goal, uh, on most rushes, especially if they're coming down outside the dots is to get into my in zone depth by the time that, um, they're anywhere where I, they can shoot. Um, so instead of being maybe a two feet or a foot and a half outside with, uh, the white paint behind me, uh, I'm starting with maybe six inches, uh, and trying to get to, you know, balls in my feet on the red of the crease. So, um, that's just made all the pushes a, a lot easier and, and then recoveries as well. Nice. What, and what's, so then you come here and I know like, especially off the rush, like working with Curtis Sanford and Ian Clark, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the track down mechanics as say a rush gets down further into the zone. Uh, that's something that is a big change for a lot of goaltenders. Um, what else is, has that been a transition for you that are you getting comfortable with that? Are you trying to implement that? Or there's always that with new coaches, what do I take? What do I not take new tools in the toolbox, but not everyone works for every goalie. How's that process been here? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I think the biggest, uh, thing I've taken from Clarkie and Sandman this year and with Vancouver, um, has been you know, I kind of took that death management, but then it was still kind of difficult to move. I have a lower stance uh, when I like to make saves from. Um, so they've given me a three stance uh, system that's been a, a massive piece of my game. Um, you know, being in a high stance uh, when there's less danger, a medium stance, and then a you know, lower stance and changing up my flexion has been something kind of foreign to me uh, coming into the year. So I wasn't sure how I, how I loved it at first. And, uh, but now that's been a, the biggest part this year. So, uh, yeah, like off a rush play out, you'll probably see me a little bit taller and then, uh, you know, reading the play when there is a shot getting down in my lower stances. So were you pretty much like, as soon as that plays over the blue line before you were sort of into your save stance? Yeah. My goal in the past was to kind of stay pretty level, uh, no matter what. So whether it was a rush or an in zone passing play, um, or the actual shot, I would try to be pretty much the same level. But this year, um, I've really unlocked some mobility with being able to be taller and more mobile uh, when there's a less threat of a shot. And, uh, and then just using that to get to better spots uh, positionally. Um, I mean, that's been, it's been unreal this year. How much energy are you saving, right. do you think? As soon as you go tall and narrow, like we think of you know, a safe stance or your low stance, I guess, in their system, you're you know, you're really, there's a lot of flexion. There's a lot of sort of mm-hmm. muscle, muscle tension. I know Clark, you believe tension is the enemy of goaltending, but it's a lot of work to hold it. It's a lot of work to move out of it. When you can go upright, tall and narrow, it's probably a lot of kids that are listening to this for advice right now. When that plays out on the perimeter and you can get tall and narrow, do you feel like that saves energy as the game goes on as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, and just in those plays that, you know, you usually bog you down at, um, in zone, especially on the power play. When they're working up top, I'm I'm working in my medium stance, taller stance, uh, depending on the situation, and uh, it's just making everything easier. To, uh, you know, all my spots easier to get to, 
Uh, and that's allowing me to kind of, you know, have a clear brain for reading the game. And, uh, you know, when you're so low and intense and you're kind of working really hard, I, I find it extremely difficult to read the game. Um, so, you know, working in my high stance uh, has, has really unlocked that for me. Now, is that tough adjustment, Spencer? Like if you, if you were playing the other way for so long, even though you'd made other changes to your game, like that's not... You know, it sounds, it almost sounds simple. Oh, three stance system, but like where and when on the ice and what situations you use each one, that's not a snap your fingers adjustment after this many years as a pro. What's that process been like for you? Cause you know, especially it, you didn't get to play early this season, but since you have, you've really had a ton of success five, you know, f- I think five Oh and three or five Oh two and one, however they want to list it nine twenty one save. Like things have gone really well when you got back in the games. How have you, you know, what's that, what's it been like to get, find that comfort level? Sorry. Yeah. I mean, like you kind of touched on it there. I hate to say it, but when you move to a new organization, it would be, it would be nice to work with the goalie coaches for a few months with, with low amount of uh, game action uh, so that I can. So I, it, it really made it easier to adjust. I mean, obviously I would have played all the games from the beginning of the year if, if I had my way, but that, that time that I took to commit to it, really i needed that time um because you know right at first that i was using it but it's the commitment that really makes it work and uh you know being able to commit and play with confidence in you know switching those stances and switching into a safe stance right before a shot uh definitely took some time to get used to but like you said i, I think i played like one game in the first month and a half or two months of the year so uh that gave me a lot of time just to buckle down with sam and abbotsford and uh uh to work on it just tirelessly and and now it feels completely natural but no it was definitely was not a snap your fingers uh adjustment what um that transition because when a lot of people think of it from sort of tall, yeah, we we can kind of i think most goalies listening to you talk can can visualize what tall and narrow upright stance looks like and sort of medium and then down into mm-hmm. your save execution do you have to be careful as a goalie that that transition is somewhat of a smooth process um can it be dangerous a little bit to sort of go taut, like sort of have a like a hitch almost like one to the other where it's mm-hmm. dramatic and maybe a tell like like if shooters are like can do you worry about that at all or does the transition from one to the other become almost seamless for you and yeah, i just I mean, asked I a really a, pointed the key, question the key is just not to go i would say like i avoid going from tall to just right into the low i mean i'm trying to get to uh tall when there's really really no threat or a very low threat of a shot that's gonna be challenging um, and, and use that medium stance uh, because the, in the medium stance, you have kind of uh, an average amount of flexion, you know, if, if people listening can imagine and you can move and you can make saves. It's like the best stance in it for me. Um, so I'm, I'm working with that stance the most. And uh, from there to the a save stance wouldn't be that immediate of a change. But honestly, uh, watching uh, Mikey, and our tours, but especially Mikey, because he's been in the system a little bit longer and he, and watching his adjustments um, and how he uses the, this exact system has really uh, helped me do because, you know, he, uh, he's pretty, like he switches pretty quick, like bang, in, uh, right before the shot. So uh, at first I didn't like that. I was like, oh, for me, that, that doesn't feel right. Like I want to be kind of more smooth, but uh, you know, just like I said, having a little bit of time off and, and being able to try things, I've really uh, started to use it and uh, I've really enjoyed it. Have you had to keep an open mind? Like as you've changed, you know, you, you started your career 
with the Colorado Avalanche organization. You had Francois Allaire, the legend, you know, shout out should be in the Hall of Fame, past guest mm-hmm. on the InGo Radio podcast. Um, you've, you've, you go to Tampa Bay, you've got Frangine, you've now got Ian Clark and Curtis Sanford. You've had all these different voices. Is that, how do you approach that as a young pro? Do you have to try and stay open to everything? Can there be a danger at times of, trying to be too open and going away from what your foundation you think it needs to be, or you just kind of sort of constantly have to be open to adjusting your foundation? Well, I think I've been lucky enough to where the people that I've worked with have, have given me stuff to, to, you know, give me knowledge, but not told me that, you know, you got to be looking like this, you know, tomorrow in the game, like Clarkie and Sam, and they're, they're like, Hey, let's, let's, let's be open-minded and let's trust the process in practice. And then once we're in the game, like just play your game. And then we'll go from there. And that's just uh, made me feel extremely confident when I'm in there, uh, you know, that I don't have to, you know, play any certain way that I don't feel like playing. But, you know, I'm, I'm seventh year pro here. I've got three games in the NHL. So I'd be pretty uh, stubborn to think that, you know, I, I need to learn and uh, add things as, as we go here so that I can, you know, hopefully get back to, a, you know, get to a level that I can play in the NHL. And I know you work with Andy Kyoto now with the Pittsburgh Penguins in the summer. Where he has been a you know a steady influence for you for the past number of years. Um, blending that, blending what you get from different voices in season to what you're doing in the off season. What that? What's that process like? And what's your focus like when you? And has I guess it shifted over the years when you go back to sort of training in the summer. Yeah, I mean it's really just all about. I mean, if you look at the NHL, there's usually there's usually. Uh, even within one team, there's going to be two goalies that are playing pretty different from each other and often, uh, often in cases. So uh, just picking what works best with, with my body and what works best with my game and sprinkling it in has been, uh, it is that like uh, that fine line, right. Of like trying not to force yourself to, to, to do certain things and find what works with you easily. But at the same time with those, like this year with the stances, I kind of just, pounded it in there when I wasn't sure at first and had time to do that. And, uh, it ended up working out. Um, so I'm really just trying to stay open-minded and, and realizing that, you know, being humble enough to know that I can add things to get better here. Let's have a little fun. How'd you, uh, how'd you fall in love with the position? How'd you, how did Spencer Martin become a goalie? Let's go way back. I, I, you know what? I don't know. I was about five or six years old and I was watching Curtis Joseph with the, with the Maple Leafs. And, uh, for some reason, I think I was one of the younger guys on my block. So they stuck me in that in road hockey. And, uh, there's my career decision right there. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's usually one of two things to be honest. Like we're, we're a hundred, you're, you're, we're 153 episodes in and, like, I don't want to say to a man or to a woman, there are different versions of the stories, but it's usually the gear or an older brother mm-hmm. that to play with them or an older sibling, you got to go in net. So I guess in your case, it wasn't necessarily a sibling. It was just the, the road hockey game forced you in. Yeah, I think the road hockey game had me go in there. And then from there, I was just putting the mini stick net in front of the TV and mimicking the goalie instead of the player. So my parents were pretty cool and letting me uh, get right into it. Now, which uh, you, you mentioned Curtis Joseph, was he the guy growing up? Like, did you have, and then you're in there mimicking At What stage do you go to the point from just being a kid, having fun, loving the game to starting to pay a little closer attention to maybe how Curtis did it or how somebody else did it and start to mimic them even on the ice. Do you remember those days in that transition? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had a great goalie coach, Ron Mays when I was, you know, you know, just starting and he still works in Burlington, Ontario. And he's, uh, so he kind of got me going and technically 
And uh, I think I just loved it. I, I don't know if I, I can't really remember when I started to say, okay, this is when I need to start focusing on, you know, really trying to be a certain type of goalie, but uh, super competitive and, uh, you know, just love, love playing goalie right away. Okay. So you end up in, in the OHL. What was like, Ron was your first sort of goalie coach. Oh, at a young age, you had a goalie coach. Like, like nowadays it's, you know, and you're kind of in that transition area from an age perspective where in Canada, we would have seen a lot of guys have a goalie coach from a really young age. When did you first start working with Ron and how did things change as you sort of graduate up into major junior and start thinking about your career that way? Yeah, I started working with, uh, with Ron, Ron Mays, uh, just as soon as I started playing goalie, which was really cool. And, uh, just kind of got me going, uh, you build your little technical game as a kid. And then, uh, I worked with Piero Greco, who's with the Islanders right now. And he kind yeah. of started working with me as I got closer to getting to my junior draft. And, uh, so yeah, I was, I was one of those guys who was really lucky enough that my parents put me in everything, you know, every resource they, they gave to me to, uh, become a, a good goalie young. Um, but I, it is interesting to me to think about like the kids, you know, like when I wasn't working on reverses, uh, our, you know, back in the day. So it's kind of nerve wracking to think about some of the, you know, the new edge work that's coming in with the younger guys and thinking about how I started doing that maybe when I was 17 or 16 instead of uh, real young. Well, I mean, Curtis Joseph is a guy, I remember having this conversation late in his career. I think it was all the way to Arizona before he learned the concept of proper leg recovery. And if I'm not mistaken, it might have even been Piero Greco in the off seasons where he learned it, watching the kids get up off the proper leg to recover. And he was still getting up off his dominant leg every time. So there's, there's always a chance to learn even, I mean, there's a guy who in my mind probably should be in the hall of fame and he'd already had that career to that point. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that probably makes sense. When I was younger, I pretty much let it fly as far as technique. I feel like I'm starting to bring it in, <laughs> bring it in every year, even until now. But uh, yeah, watching him and uh, there was no reverses back then, but there was a lot of battle and that was probably where it started. Is that the, is that like, if you had like, if, if you were starting again, would you say, Hey, I want to just go out there and go on instinct early. Would you want technical coaching from a young age? And this is kind of a tough question to ask you as you're in the middle of your pro career. You're too young to have kids yet to have to worry about this. But we, we talk a lot about development of goaltending in Canada and maybe can there be too much too soon from a technical standpoint? Do you need to learn to just skate and react on instinct? We're, you know, I'm putting you on the spot here with a tough question, but where would you come out on that one? Having sort of maybe gone through both sides of it early. Yeah, I feel like on, I honestly would lean towards, you know, building instincts and just being good on skates. Like my parents put me in power skating uh, with the players. I was the only goalie out there uh, in full goalie gear to try and, you know, just work on edges and just be on the ice as much as I possibly could. So that was pretty cool. And I felt like that was a huge part of it for me. But yeah, I think I think the technical side, you can get down pretty quick with the instincts and and just, you know, being a goalie uh, is what I would lean to first as a young guy. Okay. Junior experience, under 18s, gold medal with Canada. Get a shutout at the top prospects game. What are your memories? What are your biggest memories of junior hockey? Is it some of those achievements, Team Canada, or is it just more overall the experience of it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it, there's so much, especially when you're around your draft year, those cool experiences that you get to have. And, uh, I was lucky enough to get drafted in my hometown team in Mississauga and living in Oakville. So, uh, 
you know, to get to experience all that r- right close to home and with my family watching, um, I was pretty blessed. So, uh, I look back at, at those days as the glory days, but now we're in pro. So <laughs> we have more glory days to come, my friend. I got to ask one last one here because I've kept you longer than I should, which is kind of a bad habit of mine. But you mentioned doing your power skating in gear. And I know gear wasn't maybe what attracted you to the position. But I, I happened to look up some old photos. And you've sort of always had really high style marks. Like you've had some sick setups over the years. I was looking at the Mississauga one, the uh, the Reebok. I think it was an XLT or a, might have even been a P4 with the, the tan, with the blue stripe on the sort of retro right. tan. Um, got some sick power gear now and with the lightning last year style matter. Oh, Hey, I don't, I don't like how you said I, the gear didn't attract me to the, to the position because okay, that's so a was part of it for me. I love, I love the style. I love the style. Okay. Um, I've had, I've had, oh man, I don't even want to say this, but I've had some goalie coaches pull me back a little bit, not even goalie coaches, teammates, older guys been like, you know, you sometimes when you relax. But uh, I've absolutely loved to play around with my gear and, and then have some flashy stuff. And maybe that's what's missing right now. Maybe I need to get a little more color in my stuff. But um, not yeah, on the outer, been... not on the outer edges, not in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. The white bases have been where I've been, uh, what I've been looking at for the last few years. But uh, maybe in some more color to come soon, hopefully. Well, I've seen you like like uh, you had a set in Colorado that I think was a set of Reebok XLTs, um, but it had like logos on it. And I know they weren't doing that back then. So was that like a Padskins type thing you had on there? Like it was like a a retro Colorado logo, and it was sick. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Tom Frader with Mississauga Steelheads because he and he and even to this day, like he'll help me get all those. Uh, we had Padskins going. He would spend hours at a time, you know, make it even for like you know. A, a uh, special jersey night like with, with padskins and uh anything to get like a custom look whether it's stitching or wraps so uh yeah that he was a huge influence for making me go out of my comfort zone for style so you had sock graphics too at one point with the again mm-hmm. on a pad that didn't have that option back then so clearly some some pad skins worked there for in in mississauga by him so kudos i love it um other style point though right now and man, does it pop. Have you, ha, who's talking about the mask? Like, do you get chirped? Is anybody ringing one off the bucket? Cause it's that Chrome is just pops so much out there. Yeah, I gotta say, I, get... I saw it and I was like, man, I want to try that. But I'm like, you know, as a crappy beer leaguer, it just feels to me like that's putting a target on my head. I think it is. I think it, I, it does attract a few extra shots. And when I get hit in the head, guys aren't sorry. They're just saying like, Hey, listen, it's like a reflect. It's like a, some type of bait or reflective, uh, magnet to get hit in the head but uh i really liked what dave art what dave has been able to do with some of the masks and uh to make them extra flashy i think that's pretty cool well i mean and now it matches the bling on the ring there you go (laughs) that's not what i was going for but i love it Uh, i mean you got a mat he just anybody says like if anybody chirps you about how bright that chrome helmet is and by the way i'm a massive fan of it and the feedback we got when we put on instagram was just off the chart so a lot of people like it but just hey, it goes with the rings. Got to have the bling. I like it. Yeah, I don't know if I'll, I, I don't know. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm catching up in uh, Taxi Squad Stanley Cup rings that I am with uh, games played in the NHL. So I better not say that. But, uh, <laughs> but I love, I love being a little bit flashy and uh, you know enjoying the position. 
Well, we love that uh, there's some style there to boot. And I know the, uh, the other parts are going to come as well. Spencer, thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk with us and catch up with us today. We've really enjoyed it. And I know uh, our audience is going to as well. Thanks for having me anytime. Anytime. Thank you. Best road trip ever. Taxi squad called up to the NHL, and during the course of the journey, you pick up your Stanley Cup ring and the miniature Stanley Cup that every uh, Stanley Cup winner gets. That is, it's hard to top that. Get a start, uh, get an appearance, yeah, but that's a heck of a journey, and thanks to to Spencer for for sharing some of that. Uh, just a cool dude. Yeah, and hey, and some stuff in there, obviously you heard it, uh, talking about the three-stance system, which is yes. something you hear a lot with the Vancouver Canucks and Ian Clark and his goaltenders here about sort of, you know, too low, too wide, too soon. A lot of guys sort of get into save execution stance. As soon as that puck is across the blue line, you waste a ton of energy, you limit your movement. And so they want to make sure you're in that high, narrow, upright stance. And I thought Spencer did a really good job of sort of walking us through how he's adapted and what it means to him. And, um, you know, some lessons there, I think, because I do see it at all levels uh, where guys are just, you know, again, in some cases it limits your mobility. There are goalies who are good enough to move out of that save execution stance now. Like they can fly around despite being, you know, what used to be considered low and wide and locked in. Um, but man, are you wasting a whole bunch of energy doing so? And so there's spots on the ice where you just don't need to be in that spot and being a little higher, a little taller allows you to see the game better too. Cause you're looking down over traffic a lot more than trying to find pucks around it. So a uh, good lesson there that I from Spencer that I think it definitely applies to all the, the goalies who have had success here in Vancouver under Ian Clark, and one that I think a lot of goalies at different levels can apply as well. I like his comments about backward flow, that he, he continues to to hold on to that a little bit. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because Charlie Lindgren, same thing. Like, he's changed. And we talked to him early, you know, talked about him earlier as one of those 101 goalies and 958 save percentage in five games with the Blues. And what's changed since Montreal, where he played 24 NHL games over six seasons? Um, you know, a big part of it is changing how he manages the rush and less flow, but not no flow. And so you can still have a little bit of flow in your game. It's just, I think we're, I don't say we're past it because some guys still do it. Tuka Rask plays with as much as anyone. But it's really hard when you're a couple feet out and moving that much every time the puck's coming into it. So, so guys are just getting a little more conservative with it. But it doesn't mean you're stuck. It doesn't mean you're stationary completely. The three-stance uh, idea, Hutch, does, does that throw a different look at the shooters at all? Or do you think it plays any role in, in what the, the offense is seeing as they control the puck in and around the zone? Or am I overthinking that? You're overthinking it because not many shooters are smart enough to look up at the net. You're right. Shooters are dumb. <laughs> I actually saw uh, an absolutely world-class goal in the Western Hockey League last night. Um, and I forget the name of the uh, the scorer from Prince George, who 100% sold pass all day long, staring at the uh, player that he was skating towards and then just slid one to the backside on the ice. Um, the, the skill of shooters, uh, as much as I joke that they're not looking at the net, this one wasn't, but he absolutely knew what he was doing. Uh, does three stance uh, give the shooters a different look? Yeah, I mean, of, of course it does. But uh, but I think as Woody said, the 
the the greatest benefit is to the goaltenders. So, yeah, it's a fascinating interview. What you have to be careful of, and we talked about it with Spencer there, is getting caught in your transition and becoming too sort of either predictable or obvious or sort of, I'm trying to think of the word, like just sort of, you can, in that last into save stance, if you widen out, we see this with guys that don't even use a three stance system. I've seen it in the NHL where as they sort of prepare for a shot, they just dig in and get wider and sort of lower themselves and lock in a little bit. Like if you're looking for that as a shooter, if you're looking for that boom, as soon as there are a lot of guys where when they get into it, can become quite predictable. And if you're a shooter and you've got a goalie coach that is teaching you to look for that, that's when you move it either because you've got time to make a play yourself or because there's a passing option. Because once you dig in like that, again, um, guys move as well as they've ever moved, even from low wide stances, but there's a limit, right? And your mobility isn't the same once you sort of dig into those edges. And goalie coaches are the ones doing the pre-scouts on the other team's goalie. So they're they're looking if you're susceptible to that. Uh, they know that. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Hutch, uh, you're hanging out in the lower mainland uh, off the island for a little bit? Yeah, indetermined time, you know, chasing the kid around as I always do, but it's yeah. always nice to be around the corner from Woody. You guys going to get together at all or just going to stand on opposite sides of the street and wave to each we other? We went to a hockey game together a couple nights ago, so yeah, we do our best. We do our best to hang out and talk goaltending whenever we can. Hmm, nice to be a friend instead of a colleague of Woody's. And actually oh, yeah. hanging out with another guy who's done some work with Ingol is uh, our old friend, Greg Ballack as well. So, Oh, cool. It's good to get together. Nice. Still haven't invited him over for a hot tub yet, though. Yeah, I don't want to see on. this body in the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to wear the old 1832 bathing suit that covers everything before I'm hopping <laughs> the 18th, in the, the, the onesie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Here's Hutch in his wetsuit. <laughs> jumping in uh great to catch up with you guys uh, as always that was a a, a big uh, 45 minutes off the top and uh, a lot in there geeking out on goalie numbers as well as uh, want to remind everybody pekka Renning, henrik lundquist j.s Shiger, all coming up on in goal radio the podcast <laughs>